Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit empowering kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, they doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. To listen to the full interview of First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com slash weareforgood or click the link in our show notes. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, is your heart like already full right this time? Humanitarian, global humanitarian alert, y'all. Buckle up today. And this is a friend that has been in the community that supports the work of We Are For Good, that has like gives us the pep in our step. But we want to reflect that back to her today. Like we have got a powerhouse in our midst. We are talking to Alio Whitney Johnson. She's this incredible founder that has... This like heart wiring is what we talk about a lot on the podcast. And this is like her story and to hear her winding journey, but to see her pour into passion, pour into really activating community is core. You know, one of the trends that we talk about on the podcast all the time, this is how she shows up in life and centering community, centering ethical storytelling, lifting dignity and all along her journey. And so I'm so delighted to introduce you to her. She is this experienced social entrepreneur with nearly 20 years of experience working with children who have endured trauma, sexual abuse, and exploitation. That's her work through Emerge Global. But now she, you know, before that, she was a, she had experience as the management consultant with McKinsey & Company. She is a Rhodes Scholar, my friends. She is we this, are this the powerhouse. least smart people in the room right now. I can tell you that <laughs> <laughs> but she has channeled her passion. She is now COO of Latina American Leadership Academy, the best acronym in the business at LALA. And she's the co-founder and board member of Freedom Forward. But let me just tell you this. When I got to meet our friend, my life changed a little bit because we had this moment of hearing her story. And I'm like, this is why we do what we do. This is why we reach out and we make connections and we look at people in the eyes and we see someone's story and see like, man, this needs to be shared because what the work that you're doing, the way you're doing the work, I hope we can amplify it today. And so, Alia, it is an honor to have you in our house today. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you all so much for having me here. Um, it's surreal to be here and see you all uh, behind the scenes with your your mics and your headphones on. <laughs> uh, just for everyone who's listening, I am such a fan of this podcast. I've listened to almost every single episode while I brush oh. my teeth and get ready in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's just so much wisdom and community that has been bottled up here. And it's a real dream to be here sharing and connecting with you all today. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. I mean, so it's so kind for you to say that, but I feel complete imposter syndrome because I, feel, I look at your story, I look at your journey and I'm like, so grateful that you would give time to us today. And I want to, I want to give you space to tell a little bit of your story today to set context for the work that you're doing but take us back, you know, to growing up and some of your formative moments throughout life. Sure. So I I grew up in the mountains of, of Western North Carolina on a farm and retreat center with parents who were 
really dedicated to, to our community and also to our global community. And, you know, they not only nourished our community, but they nourished a sense of spirit. And I, like most kids, thought they were a little bit weird. Um, and I was very <laughs> logical. You know, they, they, they brought the world in because it was a retreat center. And I, in opposition, like any good child, was like, I'm going to do math competitions and science competitions and be logical and like make straight A's. And um, that was my form of rebellion. And uh, your parents must be so proud. (laughs) My parents would be proud of you. (laughs) So, you know, that was how I saw the world for a very long time. It was like there was beauty in, in math. It was like, you always get to this clean answer. And I, I ended up going to MIT to become an engineer. I thought I would go into tech. And it was while I was there that everything for me changed. I went the summer after my freshman year, um, I went to Sri Lanka to do tsunami relief work as an engineering student. And I was there to do things like uh, solar lighting systems, water filtration systems, things in theory that were related to engineering. And instead, I met this little girl. She was 11 years old. And I remember her two school braids that were looped by the side of her head next to her pudgy cheeks. And she was nursing a six-month-old son. And I want to just let that sink in because this tiny 11-year-old child had a six-month-old son. And she had this son from her father. And this little girl, when she was 10 and pregnant, went to her local police station and turned her own father in and took her father to court. And I remember standing there, I was 19 at the time, and not knowing how how to process the situation, how to hold my faith. I couldn't imagine the courage, the level of bravery that it took to do what she did and everything that she was up against. Um, at this point, she basically was removed from her home and society and school for her protection and was locked away while her father was out on bail for the duration of her court case. And I was in awe. I mean, I was both horrified and in awe. And I couldn't imagine what it took. And it it might sound cliche, but for me, as this engineering student who had always been so logical... I was like, there's just no, there's no formula. There's no engineering solution that is going to pick up the pieces of this young woman's life. And yet she's extraordinary. And what would the world look like if we had people like her in power who stood up for what they believed in, who fought for their siblings, who fought for their children, who fought for what was right, 
where was she going to be when she was 40? And yet she was not allowed to go to school. She was locked up. She was not allowed to go outside. And I wanted everything in my power to get to know her. And to make a very long story short, I ended up leaving university for a while and starting an organization that was committed to supporting teenage rape survivors and healing, developing their self-sufficiency and becoming leaders in their communities. And that journey was really not only about them, but it was like in, in, in supporting them, it was how I found myself. It was like how I found my fire and my soul's work. And I never became an engineer. Yes, I finished my degree, but I never practiced engineering. I realized like this was why I was here. And this was what gave me fulfillment. And uh, I grew that organization. Um, It was Emerge Global in the US and Emerge Lanka in Sri Lanka for um, six or seven years, transitioned it to local leadership. I then went on to start an anti-trafficking organization in the US do similar work, really focused on systems change, transforming policy and systems that led to trafficking in the United States. Um, got that to a point where it's stable, transitioned that ownership, and now um, I'm supporting other young people and stepping into their power like I was able to do across Latin America as the COO of the Latin American Leadership Academy. But I, I, I attribute it to that moment, and that's why I wanted to share it, that like everything for me changed in meeting that young woman. Okay, there's so much I want to say in response to that. But one, thank you for giving us the privilege of hearing that story and bringing her into our lives and into our world. And I know this is probably a very difficult conversation for some to listen to, but I think it's an important one that we need to listen to because we have to find ways to build a world where this is not truth we need paths for girls like this to be able to shine into their full greatness. And I think about her and I think about that. I I had the exact same thought as you, Um, the bravery it must have took. And what if you put that in a school and mentored that and, and really put to your words that on fire. How many more girls could we have or humans could we have in this world who could do great things? And I, 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 I want to challenge one thing that you said. You said you're not an engineer. I believe you are. I think you are a social engineer. I think you are a community engineer. And I think you let go of the black and white definition of what we think an engineer is because you saw something. And I and I just think about how many people out there are listening right now who had a trajectory in their life. And I think about you walk, getting up that morning, brushing your teeth and, and getting ready in the way you always have. And all of a sudden, the world delivers you a path that arcs in a completely different way. And lucky us, and I say us, the world, that Alia took the path and verged right. And I just think all of it is really a surreal story because you talk about <laughs> you want your parents to be normal and they're building a community. You came back to community. And I love that it unlocked 
all of your emotion and your passion and your justice seeking. And I want to talk about community because I think that's just a great tone setting for what has happened in your life, Alia, because you have figured out how to weave community into the fabric of your work. So please talk to us about centering community and what you do. Talk about how you started, how you're growing leaders in that. We've really been diving into community's core this year. It's one of our 2023 trends and you have been living this for years. So give us some of your wisdom and what can some of our leaders and uh, practitioners out there take away from what you've done? Um, Absolutely. And first Absolutely. I still do identify as an engineer. I'm glad you lifted that up. I never practiced, but um, especially when girls ask me about engineering, I would do it over again, 100%. Right? Yeah. Um, I think there's so many ways in which that degree helped me. And so I'm glad you're lifting that up. Community is everything. I love this is one of your values. It's, <laughs> it you. really sits with me. It, it absolutely is. And um I want to share a story there and, and then I'll talk about how, how I've anchored that in my work. The day that I realized community was everything was a Valentine's Day. And I was working with the girls and we were making Valentine's Day cards. And all of the girls I was working with were in court cases testifying against rapists and abusers. Many of them could not go back home. And so they wanted to make Valentine's Day cards, but not all of them had people that they could send them to, but they could give them to each other. So it was kind of a bittersweet day. And there was one girl I was really close to. She used to help me with our business training workshops and she wasn't there. And suddenly I saw her at the door And she looked really sad and empty. And I asked what was going on. And I heard from another girl that um, she had received a letter that day that her family never wanted to see her again for what had happened. And... This young woman walked back to her room. And so I uh, I told the girls I needed to step out for a minute. And I put this 10 or 11-year-old in charge who was tiny. And she was like, me? You know, and I'm like, yep, you're, you're in charge. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, um, like, you're the teacher now. Um, and went to this young woman's room. And she was there spreading her hands over her sheets over and over again, looking down at her bed. And I asked if I could hug her. She didn't want to hug, but she grabbed my hand and she held on really, really tight. And we sat there in silence for quite some time. And the only possession she had was this piece of purple tissue paper that I think she had found in the garbage. And she took it off of the shelf And she pulled a card out from underneath her pillow. And it was a Valentine's Day card. And she made it for me. And she wrapped this card in her piece of purple tissue paper. And she gave it to me and said she loved me. And in this moment, when she had been rejected by her family, 
in our community and was testifying in court and had nobody else and hadn't shown up for class. She had gone early that day and she had made something and it was for me. And I realized I was never going anywhere, right? Like I had an obligation, but also that like what I was doing was bigger than work, right? What I was doing was family. What I was doing was community. What I was doing had responsibility, but it also has joy. It has love. It has connection, right? And that moment has stuck with me ever since because our interactions are important. Whether they are with someone in your class or your team or, you know, a government official who's driving you crazy, right? What we are trying to do as we change realities has an impact. And... For me, it's made my family really grow quite large. In your heart too, I bet. Yeah, really big. Let me just jump in here to say thank you again. I mean, this is my chance to say thank you. Um, Just really grateful for how you show up in this world. You know, I think it is really easy and I don't want to pick on the States, but I feel like when you leave the States, you realize how hurried we are in every instance And I think it's really easy to go our lifetime without stopping. And I think the fact that you went and you stopped and you listened. And sat and just held hands in the quiet. Yeah, just opened up this doorway that you walk through, you know. And so I'm just really grateful for that. I think that a theme I'm feeling is like you can't have community if you don't have space to like listen and just share space and stop the hustle. And it's like probably the most antithetical thing you think, you know, of how to like do something, but sometimes you just need to stop. And so I think even this conversation is like made me stop to this morning. And so I thank you for walking us back, but I'm here for your tips if you want to tell us your tips too. I actually, I, I, I want to build on that because I think listening, one of the things Sri Lanka and my time there challenged me to do was listen differently I entered I entered into a space where I didn't speak the local language and and I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, right? Like this is like a developmental worst practice, right? <laughs> this yeah. is not what I would say, oh, everybody should go do this. But what not speaking a language forced me to do was learn to listen in new ways. And so often we only listen with our ears and we only listen to language. And how are we listening with our bodies? How are we reading body language? How are we creating space? How are we holding each other? And there is so much you can learn when you're mindful about that. And so much you can bring into your world, even when you are fluent in the language, if you keep multiple forms of listening in mind. And so I'm really grateful for that. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that I, I entered into a space where 
I was struggling in broken Sinhala and they were struggling in, in, in broken English. And we had to just be present with one another and build community in a new way. Um, because it did force us to slow down. And there's a way in which you start to see humanity in a really different way that we don't take time for often when you're just focused on metrics and milestones and outcomes and producing. So I think what you just said, John, is really important and maybe more important than any tip I could give, right? It's like, slow down. Yeah, I mean, I love that. And I think your experience has got to be so unique because these stories are some of the hardest I've ever heard, you know, and you also are trying to support the girls you met, the women you met financially and grow an organization and build sustainability. And so part of that is telling their story, but it's such a sensitive, difficult, removed story from, you know, your donors maybe on this side. And so, you know, ethical storytelling as a avid listener of the podcast is, something we camp out on because we just feel like it's core to mission work. And so I would love to create space to talk about what did that look like? How do you, you know, center the respect and the love that you feel and know and center dignity, but be an advocate and be an ally on the front line here with people a world away to this problem. I love that this has been a theme on the podcast. It's something I think a lot about. Many of the roles that I've worked with, unfortunately, because of their court cases have been institutionalized. And every country handles this differently. But um, not all of them are able to see our website. Some, once they get out of institutions, are. But one of the things I often think about is like, how will they feel when they see our materials, right? And like, which things can I get their, their permission for and which things can I not? And that's been a principle I've had from the very beginning is like, I want people to be proud to be represented by us in every step of the way. Because of the sensitivity of topics that we have focused on, we, we don't show any imagery or tell any story that reveals identity. So we don't share real names. We don't show faces. Um, we do a lot of creative photography with like hands and feet and silhouettes and um, the backs of images. We do doodles and drawings and animations and like often um, donors will really want to see, you know, the face of a girl that they're sponsoring. And, and we've never, ever done that because we really want to protect girls' anonymity and allow them as they step into their adult lives, if, if they choose to start from scratch and don't want to talk about mm-hmm. their history of abuse, that is, that's their right, you know? And we also really are mindful about language and talking about the power the girls have because I believe the language we put out there is powerful <clears throat> and I also have seen the power that girls do have. But if we focus only on where they have been and not their dreams and where they want to go yes, and how strong they are, we are reinforcing a world that's been really tough instead of creating the world we want to see, right? So our language guide talks about using language like survivor instead of victim, right? Like talking about aspiration instead of only talking about where they've been. 
um, talking about what they've achieved and overcome. Um, These are all things that are important, not only with our team, but when you orient your board, when you orient your advisors, even when you bring donors onto your team, you're like, you too are now part of our team. Let me bring you into our philosophy of our language so that you can be a part of building a world where this doesn't happen to girls, boys, gender nonconforming youth. And we see people for their potential and their power and their strength and not only their most difficult moments. So all of those, I think, are really important. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, who also happens to be one of our favorite companies, Virtuous. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you both see and activate donors at every level, and Virtuous is the platform to help you do just that. It's so much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous helps charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, volunteer management, and online giving. And we love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sounds like Virtuous might be a fit for your organization. Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. I mean, I think what you just said there is so incredibly powerful. And I don't want anyone to miss the fact that what you just said and the way that you said it gave all the power back to the survivor. And it nestled their story, not in the incident, the trauma, something that they had no control over. It's centered on the looking forward, the potential and the future and the journey and I, I, I want your permission to like just share a little story here because um, I want to talk about proximity for a second. Please you know, do. You know, Alia is talking about these incidents that happen around the world, but I have to tell you, these incidents, friends, are happening in your backyard. And I want to tell you a specific story Absolutely. very quickly um, that John and I experienced. I know this is a difficult topic, but I am... I've, I've been a donor to a little local organization here in Oklahoma that helps children who've experienced childhood sexual abuse, which is um, called Bethesda. And when John and I were working in healthcare philanthropy, I mean, in my heart, it just, it just felt like the world's greatest evil. And I just wanted to put something into that to eradicate it. And we had a mental health facility within our healthcare center for children. And there was a particular unit in there. Um, and these children are like in lockdown and it's like a prison for them. And they're experiencing all manner of trauma from, anger management to sexual abuse. And I remember the first time we went over there and got to know the director and we were talking about philanthropy and what can we do and how do we be a light to these kids? And John, I know you will remember this, but we, and we had, you know, we had run through the heart hospital. We'd run through the cancer center. We had talked to all the cardiothoracic surgeons, transplant surgeons, everybody needs a building. Everybody needs a 40, $50 million building. And we walk into this unit and we asked them what they need. And they said, we need $10 Walmart gift cards because so many of our children are lifted straight out of their homes during the time of these emergencies and crises. And we just really need to buy them clean underwear and socks. Can you as a foundation help us? And I remember that hitting me in the face. And then we toured. And and I remember looking at John. And when we toured that sexual trauma unit, the only word, and this word has been 
bouncing around in my head since you talked about this first child and the expression on her face. And the, the word that I used when I turned to look at John was hollow. There was a hollowness in the face and emptiness. And there wasn't the vivacious joy and energy that I'm used to seeing in my children and the kids my children plays with. And we got to get back to the joy We've got to get back to pouring into it. And I think an incredible starting place is what you're saying. It's in dignity. It's in joy. It's in taking those dreams and aspirations and putting them right back on the path that they needed to be on. And it's about sitting there and holding or holding hands or sitting beside and not touching and being respectful. And I, and I just want to thank you for how ethical and dignified this conversation is and the way that you choose your words and the way that you keep leaning in. And I, and I want to talk about this situation that you had where you stepped away from your nonprofit. And I know we have a lot of founders that listen to this podcast. We've had it pitched to us from our community, possibly having an episode on how do founders step away when they're so close. You did this. And you did it from such an ethical place. And we would love for you to tell the story about why you chose to step down from Emerge. Absolutely. And, and just also want to echo, yes, this issue unfortunately happens everywhere, all parts of the world. And what you just said about clean socks and underwear so resonates with me from my work in San Francisco with trafficking survivors in our drop-in center. It was the first thing they wanted. Right. So like wherever you are in the world, if you're listening to this, there's like a very real need in your community. There's your one good thing. If you're feeling convicted by this, <laughs> An early one good socks thing and underwear it. to your local right. organization. So that is it's what they need. So, important. so I started Emerge when I was 19. And when you start, when you're a founder, I think so much of your heart and soul goes into your organization. And unfortunately, a big part of your identity can get wrapped up in it, which can be a good thing, but also can be a dangerous thing. And when you're 19, I think there's even more firsts, right? Like first job, first time hiring people, first time leaving the country, right? Like huge coming of age experience. But when I was 26, I decided it was, it was time for me to shift out of being executive director. And... There were a couple of reasons I made this decision. The first was I had such a deep love for the organization that I felt the best gift I could give it was the gift of being bigger than me, even though I knew that was going to be heartbreaking. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I needed to know it would last even if, if I got hit by a bus. The second thing was I was really aware I know not everybody can see me if you're listening, but I am a white American woman and I happen to be working in Sri Lanka. I, I felt in many ways Sri Lanka picked me. I didn't pick Sri Lanka. But I was so aware of my identity and I feel a deep responsibility to think about when is it my time to take up space? When is it time, time to make space for others? And when is it my time to step to the side? And the girls, when I would talk about all that they could do, would often say, but you have an American passport and you have white skin. And I was working in a country that had been colonized 
by three different countries, all of which had white skin. And that is loaded, right? And so when they saw me, even though I started this organization as a teenager, and I was like, you can do this too, there was a sense of, yeah, but you hold all this privilege. Yeah, but my whole life I've been told white is better than me, right? And I knew that it was really important to me that they saw themselves in leadership. That like, if I really loved them, Mm. I needed them to know they could run this organization. And I had to let go. Like as much as I loved the organization, I had to let go. And that was complicated. I mean, it was heartbreaking. If you were a founder out there and you've had to let go and you want to talk to somebody, feel free to call me. I mean, I kid you not, for six months, anytime somebody asked me how I was doing, even if I didn't know them, I'd start to cry. Like immigration line, grocery store checkout line, the innocent question of like, how are you today? I would just start bawling. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was there to hug you. (laughs) I'm like, nobody's ever going to want to ask anybody how they're doing. (laughs) Um, But because I, I didn't know who I was without this organization. And I think that's actually a dangerous place to be. I had to reestablish like, who am I? Like, what do I love? Like I, I as a human, am bigger than this. And so I actually, I took time for me and I had to really rediscover my interests. I discovered that I had a love of salsa dance and like I went, there's this beautiful book. It's called um, something like exit the, the endings that set us free. And there was something super liberating Mm. about it. And I actually, I took what I call the sabbatical and, and really invested in myself, which I recognize as a privileged position to be able to afford. But I was on a super tight budget, like $2,000 for six months. So, you know. Whoa. But uh, yeah. That's a book. So, anybody who wants to do that, <laughs> let me know. Granted, I, have, I, have, I had no children, right? But like, give yourself space. Like recognize it's going to take some time. Talk to other people who've been through that. Um, let yourself cry, let yourself grieve and, and find new pieces of your identity that are separate. It's really important. And then eventually I was asked to rejoin the board. And so I'm still involved. I still volunteer. I visit Sri Lanka. I'm involved in a healthy way, but it's locally run. It's all Sri Lankan staff. The rest of the board's all Sri Lankan. And that's, it's 17 years old. Most of our money is raised there. And I know if I dropped dead, we would still go. And that was really important to me. Oh, yeah. You are a wonder. I mean, this conversation, the different chapters of it today just have like gut punched me. And I'm hearing some of this for the second time and I feel gut punched yet again. So I just thank you for the way you show up and the way you think and you're using your engineering mind to help re-architect what it looks like to do this work today. And I think you're just like centering us. So, you know, we are... We love philanthropy. We sit around this table and we smile and we laugh about it. And it gives me goosebumps like I have right now in my arms. I wonder if you'd take us back to a moment of philanthropy in your story to just kind of center us. Sure. I had this moment, my sort of the first philanthropic moment that I remember was I was I was still in college, so I just started Emerge. I'd gone back to college. I was in this huge lecture hall and my university had come out with this article on the work I was doing with Emerge. And the lecture wrapped up 
and I walked down the aisle and I was going to leave the lecture hall and there was this young woman waiting for me who I didn't know, another student. And she handed me $50 and she said, I'll never forget it. I wish someone had been there for me like you've been there for them. And she walked away. And in that moment, I realized what we were building at Emerge was a lot bigger than the girls. We were going back to the theme of community, right? That like what we were building was a community that hopefully, whether it was through volunteering or working or giving, was going to support the healing of many more people. So all I'm thinking right now is this phrase I chronically say on this podcast, which is, the event is not just an event. The direct mail is not just a direct mail. And here we have, Emerge is not just a mission. This is a story. This is a movement. This is a community. And how people can see themselves reflected in the story matters. And what you have just shown here is the responsibility we have, which I got to pull back another trend. Like, how do we step in to be a change agent in this world? And it's through story. It is not through force. It is not through rhetoric. It is not through hate. It is through story that is true, that is raw, that invites people in, that asks them to add to the story. And it becomes something bigger than the rest of us. And Alia, I just I just am thinking you are the first Rhodes Scholar I've ever known who chose <laughs> not to go into academia, who chose not to go into big tech or become a billionaire. You literally, I said it before, you took that arc, you went into nonprofit, and it's like, it just, it made all the difference. And I just think these ripples matter. And I think the ripples you don't even see matter. And so, you know, we end all these conversations with the one good thing. How are you going to bring it home to the audience today with your one good thing? Well, we've talked about a lot of things, but I'm going to mix it up a little bit. The theme of my year this year has been play. Love that. And yeah, I've really been thinking about my leadership and I've been thinking, maybe this is because I work with teams, but about the importance of play. And did you know that, you know, playing play works a different part of our brain than we usually engage during work. And it helps us build trust. It helps us with creativity. It helps level power dynamics and it helps us tap into our inner child and heal. And so what I want to leave everybody with is really the importance regardless of what you do in thinking about how you bring play into your work because I think it will make your work more joyful and purposeful and fulfilling. Wasn't that the beautiful way to tie this off? And, um, you know, the faith falls on the team building days. These are good, guys. Let's not judge these little activities. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking <laughs> all the little fun ways we can incorporate it in. So this conversation's completely filled my heart. I just think you're an incredible human being and I know people are going to want to reach out to you in this journey and kind of catch us up to what you're doing today because we're going to have to have a part two and like really dive into the work that you're doing 
today also, but just share where you're at, how people can find you online and just a little bit of the work you're doing today. Sure. Um, so if anybody is interested in learning more about Emerge and um, the work that we actually do, I know we talked about the girls and the issue, but like how we address the issue, you can go to emergelanka.org, the local entity. And if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Alia Whitney Johnson. And that's really where I show up. And you can also email me at aliawj at gmail.com. And I would love to to talk to anybody and especially female founders out there. I see you. Um, and young female founders out there, I see you. A lot of times I've felt lonely and there's no need to be alone. So feel free to get in touch. I mean, talk about a warm mom hug. Thank you. I, I just think honestly about your presence being a warm mom hug for so many who need it. And I just want to thank you for this powerful work, for this powerful message. I'm looking forward to having a part two on this so we can get to know Emerge Lanka. But I I just thank you for the way that you have poured into this work, for the human that you are. You are a wonder and a treasure. Keep going, my friend. Man, we are rooting for you. So grateful. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing, if you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.